Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. So today now is week two in the Be Like Jesus series. And we're going, in a sense, verse by verse. Once again, this series comes from the first section of the first sermon that Jesus ever preached. And believe it or not, this series, these verses, not only are powerful for our spiritual walk with God, but they are also powerful for our mental and emotional health and well-being. So Jesus, right out of the chute, was really concerned with the state of how our heart is doing all the time. And today, uh, his text is another paradox, another opposite pathway to true happiness and blessing. Remember, the ways of the kingdom of God are not like the ways of this world. And so these uh, um, eight messages are eight different kind of pathways that Jesus is giving to us so that we could be happy and blessed, but they're opposite. They're kind of contrary. So let's look at today's. This is Matthew chapter five, verse four. The Good News translation says, happy. And remember, it's like, oh, happy. Oh, how blessed are those who mourn. What? Happy are those who mourn. God will comfort them. When you take this pathway, you end up in this place. Happy are those who mourn. God will comfort them. The NIV puts it this way. Blessed, and remember, blessed and happy are the same word. They're the same exact word expressed differently. Blessed are those who mourn because when they mourn, they will be comforted. So this is a very unique Um, message today because it's, wait a second, how could you be happy if you're mourning? How could you be blessed if you're mourning? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is actually saying, last week was happy are the lacking. Today it's happy are the sad. Happy are the sad. Now how could it be possible that you're gonna be happy if you're sad? Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying sometimes it's good to be sad in the presence of God. If you never experience a certain type of sadness, you will never experience true biblical happiness. So this is what we know. We we have to take this pathway if we want to experience true biblical happiness. What Jesus wants for us and what he's promised for us. There's a type of sadness, a type of mourning that resets our relationship with God and with others. You see, if we don't go through this pathway of sadness sometimes, our relationships can't be reset. 
At the end of this, as we pray, one of the things that might emerge for someone is, man, my relationship with this person or with that person or with my spouse, anybody who's been married more than three weeks ever come to realize that your relationship needs a good reset every once in a while? Relationships need resets. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. There's a sadness that leads to deep cleansing. There's a sadness that will liberate us from the past and unburden our conscience. This is a, this is a very powerful mental health and spiritual health tool that Jesus gives to all of his people. So what does mourn mean? What does this sadness mean? Listen to this. It's the activity of lamenting the loss of a loved one or just loss in general or grieving over one's sin. This word has two sides to it. We're gonna be covering two sides of the same truth. Okay, it's the activity of lamenting the loss of a loved one or grieving over one's sin. It's to have feelings of distress or remorse for hurting someone or grieving God. And when we mourn that way over loss with God and when we mourn over our sin with God, then we get to experience comfort. Comfort means to provide solace and help with great strength. So God always wants to comfort his people, but we have to go through a process sometimes of mourning, of sadness. One of the reasons why our country is so jacked up is because we have no way to find comfort. What you see when you look at a society is a society that can't find their way to comfort. And what Jesus is saying is there is a way you find that comfort when you bring your loss through, through, through mourning to me. Amen. Somebody say amen to that. And so what I want to do is I want to pray because look, blessed means happy and fortunate because of the favor of God. But if you never mourn, you actually slip out of the favor of God. If you never have a moment when you experience this type of sadness, little by little, it's impossible to be a human being and not slip out of the favor of God. It's impossible because this world is too dark. We are too fallen in our nature. You know, we, we, just, we just naturally mess things up and we need a holy, godly reset. But it comes through the pathway of sadness. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pray today that God would help us to deal with with this issue of mourning 
In a little while, I'll bring up a word title called repentance. But that God would help us to deal with our sin and our pain and our loss. Because if we will bring it to him, then we will also experience a reset, a relief, and a comfort from God. Anybody want the comfort of Christ today online? Hallelujah. So you have to be courageous and faith-filled and take the way that is different from the way of the world. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. And God, I just ask that you would breathe on the remaining moments of our service. Jesus, this is so important because it's through our mourning, Lord. It's through our loss with you that we experience healing and freedom. And God, you promise to comfort us if we will bring our issues to you. So today, Lord, I pray that you would, you would shatter excuses, you would shatter denial, you would shatter escapism, and that you would help us to get close and to get honest. Bless this word now by your mighty power. Help my feeble lips, O oh God, and reach those who are online, those who are gonna come online. Oh God, reach everyone that's within my hearing, Lord, and minister deeply and profoundly to every heart the way only you can, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take the time to look at the two facets of this mourning, this sadness that are built into the text. And I'll tell you, there's something that happens when we bring our sadness to God when it comes to our pain and our sadness to God when it comes to our sin. The truth of the matter is, is that our sin and our pain are sort of intertwined. And you can't let go without letting, uh, you, you can't let one go without letting the other go. We need Jesus to deal with both of them. And the first thing that Jesus is saying is that sadness with God, everybody say with God, sadness with God settles your pain. When the Bible says, blessed are those who mourn, it's like Jesus is saying, blessed are those who bring their sadness to me instead of trying to handle it themselves. Don't try to handle your hurt and your loss by yourself. Take it to Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. He's saying, blessed are those who are willing to bring it to me. If you bring it to me, I will comfort you. The truth of the matter is, is we can't handle certain things by ourselves. Why does he say this? In 2 Corinthians, it's because he's the God of all comfort. Look at what the Bible says. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Your heavenly Father wants to comfort you. Our heavenly Father wants to minister to us. And he's available to us. 
It says who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any, in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So here, there are hurts and pains and deep wounds that people carry. And what God says, and what Jesus says, bring them to me, bring them to the Father and he will comfort you. And not only will he comfort you, but then he'll give meaning to your loss because he'll take that loss and he'll use it to make you an instrument of comfort to someone else. He'll take your pain and make it a blessing to someone else by his mighty power. Don't you want to be an instrument of the comfort of God? See, God doesn't waste our suffering. He comforts us so that we then turn around and become instruments of comfort to other people. This is so powerful and it's part of his, quote, spiritual uh, um, mental health strategy for our lives. Here's what you have to know. Jesus is deeply, eternally, and cosmically acquainted with your pain. So the Bible says each heart knows its own bitterness and no one can share its joy. So no one can really know the depth of your pain, of your sorrow, of your loss. No one can really know even the depth of your joy except Jesus. Jesus totally knows. And when Jesus came to the earth, you have to understand that he knew everything at all times. So he felt everything that everyone was going through and he was there to carry it. He was there to carry the, the brokenness of families. He was there to, to carry the impact of abuse, the impact of all kinds of sin. He was there. Imagine what Jesus felt every moment. Imagine the weight of sin on his shoulders that he walked with and lived with every moment of every day. But he came to carry that for us and to take it to the cross so that through his sacrifice, we could experience our healing. But Jesus really, really knows. So he wants to comfort us, but we have to understand the therapeutic strategy that he has for us, and I want to give it to you. Here's his strategy. Number one, bring it into his presence. Number two, bring it under his blood. Come on, somebody say amen to that. If you have secret pain today, you're watching online or you're in this room, if you have secret pain today, I'm telling you what the strategy is. Bring it into the presence of Jesus. Bring your pain to God. Tell him exactly what's going on. He already knows, but you need to bring it to him. Bring it into his presence. I love the Psalms. I love the Psalms because the Psalms are such an expression of honesty. I, David, one of the things about David is he told God, I say this all of the time, we don't pray like this anymore because Jesus had not come yet. Now that Jesus come, we pray differently. But I love when I read in the Psalms and Jesus is like, Lord, those people are after me. Get them, Lord. Break their jaws. Smash their toes. He's like going off. Don't pray like that now, okay? <laughs> but the thing about that moment is that you see that David is talking to God 
with an open heart and with the best light that he has. You don't have to fake it with Jesus. No matter what's happened in your life, you don't have to feel shame in his presence. How many know he already knows? When you bring your pain to Jesus, when you bring it into his presence, then you and I get to resolve the mystery of pain. Look at what Warren Wiersbe said about this. He said, God's people live on promises and not explanations. Explanations will be when we get to heaven. He said, God was in the same place that he was when his own son died. And when you experience your trauma, he was on the throne of heaven and that's where he is now. Let's trust him. There's something powerful that happens when you go to God and say, God, my heart is so hurting because of what they did to me, but I trust you to take care of it. God, my heart is shattered, but I trust you. I trust you to take care of it. God, touch my broken heart, oh God. Touch my broken heart, Lord, but I trust you. God, I trust you to take care of it. You see, this is really, really powerful. Take your pain to God. God can touch you in ways that nobody else can. Let me give you a classic example of this right out of the news. So you may have heard that there's a case going on with... um, these gymnasts, these young women who were abused by the team doctor, Larry Nasser. I'm only saying his name because it's all over the news. This is no mystery. One of those young women happens to be a Christian. This is the difference right here. They asked her, how do you forgive your abuser? And I want you to see what she said. She said, forgiving my abuser means this. It means that I trust in God's justice and I release bitterness and anger and a desire for personal vengeance. It does not mean that I minimize or mitigate or excuse what he has done. It does not mean that I pursue justice on earth any less zealously. It simply means that I release personal vengeance against him. And I trust God's justice, whether he chooses to met that out purely, eternally, like when the person gets to heaven, or both in heaven and on earth. She said, I take my pain, I've taken my abuse, I've taken my shame. Okay, here's the moment. Here's a crucial moment, whether you're watching online or whether you're in this seat. Here's what she said, I take my pain, I take my shame, I take my loss, I take my hurt, I take all of the impacts of these things and I bring them into the presence of Jesus and say, Jesus, your blood can heal me and touch me. I trust you, oh God, hallelujah. And I let it go in your presence, oh God as you wrap your arms around me and comfort me and heal me. By stripes, the Bible says, we are healed. And can I tell you something, brothers and sisters? When that happens, your prayer life stays healthy. Sometimes Christians get bitter and you don't realize when you get bitter, it changes your prayer life. 
When you get bitter, your prayer life becomes horizontal instead of vertical. The more you hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness, what you do is you pray towards people and about people instead of approaching God for his comfort. So watch this. Look at this, look at this uh, um, slide here. You see, if you find yourself praying, but all it is is arguments and demands, okay, not trust and surrender, but arguments and demands, you're praying this way. You see, oh, what you really want is justice and retribution, okay? But when you're taking your stuff to the Lord, when you're looking to God to resolve your problems, you're saying, I trust you. Trust is going up and comfort is falling down. Trust is going up and comfort is falling down. And he's pouring down the comfort because I trust you. This is a real powerful thing. Someone just sent us this. There was a study in Harvard talking about the, the paradox, the paradoxical consequences of revenge. And he said three studies showed that people who punish continue to ruminate, which means think over and over about the offender, whereas those who do not punish move on and think less about the offender. This is, this is Harvard University. Okay, it's human nature that the more we just want justice and vengeance and on and on. And, and here's, here's what this is not saying. This, is, this doesn't mean that a person shouldn't get 25 years for something or 50 years. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your heart. Because a lot of times people, they get the, they get the 50 years, but they never heal from it. You see, but Jesus, whether, they, whether he gives them the 50 years now or he deals with it in eternity, how many of he wants you to be free? He died so that you could be free, so that you could be released of your pain. That's why Jesus died. Hallelujah. That's why we sing he's indescribable. No philosophy, no religion, no person ever except Jesus could deal with and resolve our sin and loss and pain. And he says, come, blessed are those who bring their sadness to me, for they shall be comforted. So listen, today, today God wants there to be this mysterious, beautiful transaction. And make no mistake, we serve the living God. Everybody say the living God. <laughs> Hallelujah. We serve the living God. We serve a God who's bigger than principles. We don't serve a God who's all about rules and regulations. We serve the living God, and the living God wants to touch us and comfort us and heal us if we bring our pain and our loss to him. I, got, I have a, just one qu other quick thing to talk about this whole issue of sadness over, you know, being sad and mourning with God, bringing your loss to God. It's not just trauma, it's just loss. I lost my mom this year, number of months ago, and, and never in my wildest dreams that I imagined that I would feel such a gaping hole in my soul. I just, I didn't, I just, I can't even put it into words. 
And it's put a whole new, you know, you never stop learning about God. You never stop. I've been serving God this 30 years of ministry now, I don't know, 37 years of walking with Christ. And let me tell you something, you never stop learning with God. And I've learned more about God's love and compassion through the loss of my mom. And, and it's made me pray even, I've all, I always pray for you, but I've prayed even differently for people who lost their own children. I can't even imagine the unspeakable loss of a child. Who could touch that except Jesus? But the whole gospel is God losing his son, turning over his son. Jesus, God the Father, really, really knows. And no matter what your pain is, no matter what your hardship is, today is a day to let him hug you and comfort you. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. So that's the first side of this. And then there's like this other side, which is equally Important. In fact, a lot of the commentators said, when Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, everyone also knew is that he was talking about sadness over our sin. So sadness with God settles your sin, nothing else. We've got to bring our sin to God. This is a very, very powerful thing. I mentioned earlier, the problem with our culture is that this culture has no method, no mechanism, no possibility of relief or release from its own sin. You see, since in our culture, there is no right and wrong. Since in our culture, nothing is right or wrong before God, then everyone is always upset about something. It's just one pile of anger on top of another pile of anger. Nobody wants to admit and confess that they're wrong. And that's why we're so after each other over and over and over again. You see, this is what happens in a culture where there's no such thing as sin. But how many know, when you confess your sin, there can be a restart. Our culture needs a restart. People need a restart. People need a restart. Gang members need a restart. That's what's what's needed, a restart. Some young men need to forgive their father. Their father needs a restart. They need a restart. Families need a restart. But how can you have a restart if no one confesses their sin? Nothing's wrong. Do whatever you want. Yeah, you could say that. Listen, academics right here in this city, there's no such thing as right and wrong. There's no such thing as sin. And wherever you find that, you will notice, even in their own families, ultimately, you won't be deeply happy. You won't be profoundly blessed because no one can handle and carry their own sinfulness. No one can. How I many know only Jesus can carry our sin? Amen. Hallelujah. And so Jesus is saying, Blessed are those who will settle their sin with me. This battle 
has been playing out throughout history. It's played out in so many different ways. I remember um, being in high school and reading a story that somehow struck me and the, actually the teacher talking about the author, the author's name was Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde was like, like praised as one of the greatest writers of his time, this incredible gifted genius of a writer, but he was also famously sinful. And he loved to celebrate how vile and sinful he was. After a while, though, he went on to write this book called The Picture of Dorian Gray. And in The Picture of Dorian Gray, he battles with what every human being battles with. So it's this story about a guy who was so handsome and good-looking and gifted and capable, and he just wanted to do all of the stuff that he wanted to do. Like some people think, I just want to party. I just want to live the wildlife. So he said, man, I wish I was a, there was a way that I could just do whatever I want to do. And here's what he did. So he gets a, he gets a painter to do a self-portrait of him. And he, he has that self-portrait. It's masterful. And then he actually puts the self-portrait in his closet. And in the beginning of a book, right? In the beginning of, a book, of the book, here's, he has a moment with his beautiful self-portrait. And here's what he says. He says, man... Um, already I'm growing old, well, that self-portrait will stay the same. Here's what I mean. Have you ever noticed, like I'm not like a super social media person, but you ever notice, I remember when I first got onto social media, I noticed that people my age, they always put a picture of themselves that's like 20 years younger than they are. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's not you. You know? So it's like the alderman was here just recently and he said, uh, he said, oh snap, I remember when he had dark hair. That's when I came here, you know. So here's what he was saying. He was saying, I wish I could trap this moment in time and not be impacted by life. So look, here's what he says. If it were only the other way, if it were only I who was to, always, uh, to be always young and the picture that was to grow old. For that, he says, for that, I would give everything. Yes, there is nothing in the whole world that I would not give. I would give my soul for that. So in that moment, he makes this deal with the devil. And then his life goes on and he never gets old. He stays young. But, but as he goes and looks at the closet, look at what the self-portrait becomes. So this is right out of a movie that was done in the 1950s. So here in the closet, he's like, he's like changing because you know what? Sin eats you alive. Wild living eats you alive. Things that grieve God eat you. They eat you alive. They destroy you. You look at these superstars who in one moment, they live in the, the vida loca, as they say, Right? Then you look at them 10, 15 years later and they're shriveled up and broken this and a broken family and a broken that, you see? So here's the thing, here's the thing. You have to deal with the guy in the closet. 
Come on, somebody say amen. Sometimes things stay broken because we don't deal with the guy or the girl in the closet. You see, the Bible calls this repentance. Look at how the book concludes. Imagine this. Like this is the guy writing this because he kind of understood it. Look at what he says. So there's another character. This could be said right this moment. This is almost like prophetic, even though it's just uh, literature. It says, pray, Dorian, pray, he murmured. What is that? What is it that one was taught to say in one's boyhood? Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us our sins. Wash away our iniquities. Let us say that together, Dorian. The prayer of your pride has been answer, answered, but the prayer of your repentance will be answered also. Hallelujah. He said, isn't there a verse somewhere that says, though your sins be as scarlet, yet I will make them white as snow. That is the gospel. Hallelujah. That is our Savior. Blessed be the name of the Lord this is the mystery of the gospel that the things that we do in pride when we come to him and we say I want to change he pours out mercy the holes that we dig for ourselves he graciously and kindly fills up the hole and pulls us out of it he sets our feet on a solid rock, Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But look, you have to repent. Everybody say repentance. Second Corinthians chapter 7 says it this way. It says, godly sorrow. See, I'm not talking about worldly sadness. I'm talking about godly sadness. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Okay? But worldly sorrow brings death. In other words, the person that will come to God and say, the problem with my family is me. I... Wait, 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 listen. I wrecked it, Lord. I've, I'm the one. I've been the one who's been difficult. I've been the one who's been this. I've been the one who's been that. I did this. I was stubborn. I was rebellious. I made the wrong choices. The person who comes to God and says, that is, Lord, I am the man. That's the person who receives the mercy of God and the cleansing of God and the power of God and the help of God and the healing of God and the transformation of God. And then the Bible even promises that, that he will restore what, what the locust has eaten, what is eaten up by our sin. He's so rich in mercy. He gives it all back to us. Look, as I go to, to, to close, I was just thinking, I was talking to one of our pastors and um, his, uh, 
he was leading one of our becoming groups. I think it was a DNA group. I hope you're involved in some of our small groups because they're powerful. So he, um, he was telling me about some of the people in his group. And he says, you know, there's a sister in our group. And he goes, this, this, this girl is on point. She is so full of God. She is such a woman of God. She is all of these things. And he goes, and you know, every time she opens her mouth, I get like a double, triple blessing. And let me tell you why. Because her dad, who's in this church, ran from God and did some things that were jacked up and made some serious mistakes, some major mistakes. But there came a point in time where he, right? Maybe he didn't raise her the best. Maybe he didn't do everything the best. But there came a point where he went to Jesus and said, Lord, I need you. God, cleanse me. I repent. I want to change. I want to follow you. He started following God and serving God. And we're watching God has been turning his family around. And that girl is his daughter. And no matter what we do, when we cry out to God, the help of heaven comes. Today, she's a powerful, powerful woman of the most high God. Hallelujah. Yeah, come on, let's, let's praise and blessed be the name of the Lord. Even in your last moment, you can sing, Jesus, you're not done with me. You're doing a new thing. You're doing a new thing. You see, because he is the God of new beginnings. I've said on so many occasions, if the musicians could come, the pastors could come, uh, help me, Pastor Jovan, come, Pastor Josh, come and help me with communion. Listen, this is a mystery to me, but Jesus is the kind of King and Savior that when we repent, we become a child of his as if we served him our whole life. Amen. We have the capacity to inherit. There's even a proverb about this, which I'm not going to break down, but we can inherit as much from God as the person who served him for 40 years. I don't understand it. I don't know how he does it, but I'm just so grateful that our God is rich rich in mercy. He delights to show mercy to his people.